as Marty alluded to in his um, uh, candle lighting welcome, this is part of a series on world religions, the second in the series actually, about how world religions and ethical culture address a few questions. Last week, the question was, are we good at heart? And we looked at the idea of human nature and how different religions approached that question. Next week, we'll ask, how do we do it? And look at how different religions and ethical culture approach making ethical and moral choices. And this week, we're looking at the question, is that all there is? And the idea of transcendence. And again, as Marty said, this week really came out of an auction purchase from Perry Bider at this year's auction. And out of that grew really kind of the idea for this series. Conveniently, this week also fits within our monthly congregational theme, which for those of you who are paying attention is, does anyone know? Oh, Oh, you're all paying attention, I love it, is the sacred. And you may know that particularly because at the beginning of the month, Mary Herman gave a beautiful platform on the sacred on March 4th using the poetry of Walt Whitman and the mysticism of Felix Adler to talk about the sacredness of each person and the inviolability of life. My very clumsy synopsis of what she said is that the sacred can be found in the here and now, especially in our connection with each other. That we define what is sacred, but we find it not in the beyond, but in our interactions, in the drawing out of our uniqueness. That is a beautiful understanding of the sacred, one that I think resonates for so many of us, grounded as it is in an essential naturalism, rooted in how we are and where we are in the world. So this week, we're looking a little bit beyond that understanding at the metaphysical possibilities. Transcendence is literally a going beyond, Send going and trans beyond, beyond the limits of experiential knowledge. It's often contrasted, particularly in philosophy, with the imminent, which is within the realm of experiential knowledge. I would call the sacred of Whitman, the sacred of nature and our bodies, a kind of sacred found in the imminent, in the here and now experience. So the question, I think, really today is whether ethical culture posits or even allows for a metaphysic beyond the tangible, beyond the sensible experience that we know and see, whether it allows for and how it allows for transcendence. A starting point, perhaps, is that Most religions do have some kind of experience of transcendence. The social scientist Jonathan Haidt, who's better known for actually some of his work on morality and ethics, calls self-transcendence, and I quote, the idea that the self thins out or melts away and it feels good. It feels somehow uplifting. Haidt feels that this idea of self-transcendence coming out of ourselves and into something larger is an element found in every human experience, part of how we're wired. He refers to Emile Durkheim, the philosopher who called us homo duplex, kind of like a duplex house, two levels, right? Homo duplex, two levels. And Haidt uses the image of a staircase to talk about those two levels. The idea that when we search for transcendence, we start at the bottom and climb to the top of a staircase. You can actually see see some of that imagery on his TED Talk, which is where some of this is from. And he's got this image of a door at the top of a staircase. 
He says, quote, the challenge of modern life is to find the staircase amid all the clutter and then to do something good and noble once you've climbed to the top, once you've walked through that door. Now, inherent in that understanding of transcendence and that staircase metaphor is the idea of two levels, the duplex, right? We've talked about finding the sacred in a naturalistic or imminent plane, and the question then I think is how we find the sacred in that transcendent plane, the idea of the second level of the duplex. So let's turn a little bit to how world religions answer that question. I think our understanding of Christianity, certainly in popular um, American imagination, and very really for many, very in, in reality for many folks who practice Christianity, there's an understanding of a clear distinction between two levels, here at earth and then another world in heaven or after a certain time, another plane of existence. Islam similarly has a clear understanding of two levels. Judaism, which is grounded a little bit more in the here and now and in the practical, still has its mystic bent. Many of us know about Kabbalah primarily through the celebrities that practice uh, Kabbalah. You see them with red strings, Demi Moore, um, uh, most importantly, perhaps. Um, But actually, Kabbalah is an ancient uh, understanding of Judaism that comes out of Europe and really is the mystical side of Judaism, seeing in each person the divine spark taken from the the shattering of of divinity throughout the universe. And Buddhism, which we'll we'll come back to in a little bit, also has within some forms of Buddhism, remember that it's a huge tent with multiple different ways of practicing Buddhism around the world. In some forms of Buddhism, there is that clear sense of another plane of the duplex and the second floor being significantly different from the first floor, a plane with ancestors and gods and spirits. Frequently, we find that in countries where Buddhism intersected with uh, folk religion or a religion that came earlier earlier, like Taoism. So what does all this mean for naturalistic religion? Frequently, ethical culture is seen as naturalistic, as rooted in the natural world. Well, the obvious first question is, is that really the case? Are we an entirely naturalistic religion? Ethical culture leader Liesl Burns said, actually, at a a meeting of of leaders where we were talking recently about, conveniently, transcendence and naturalism... (laughs) Worked out well for me. Liesl Burns said, and I quote, a a naturalism with access to transcendence is at the heart of ethical culture. So for her, there's a possibility of transcendence rooted in naturalism, the idea that naturalism is right there, who we are in ethical culture. I want to just define naturalism a little bit more, um, and, I'm, and I'm using an essay from the Columbia philosophy professor Wayne Proudfoot referring to the moral philosopher Bernard Williams. The names aren't that important, but let's look at the definition. Proudfoot says, Williams's question, is there anything intrinsically shaped to human beings' ethical interests that humans have not themselves shaped, is quite similar to William James's question of whether or not there is an eternal moral order where eternal means that it is not a product of human thought or action. And for Proudfoot, that sets up the difference between naturalistic religion and religion that is other than naturalistic. Let me try to 
tease that out just a little bit. The idea is that within a naturalistic religious framework, or any kind of naturalistic framework, the idea is that the shaping of meaning, the order and pattern of the universe comes from humanity. It is our creation, our imagining, our work together that creates it, as opposed to seeing an order or a pattern that exists beyond what we can do ourselves. So I think for many of us, we say, well, okay, that's clear. Ethical culture belongs within the naturalistic framework. I think there's some question about that, at least historically, and I want to take us back to the founding of ethical culture in the 19th century and the founder, Felix Adler. Adler said many things. He worked over 60 years when he founded ethical culture at the age of 24 and then worked until um, he was uh, quite an elderly man, kind of running the, the movement. And so he said different things in different places. Publicly, on social issues, I think you'll find that what he said was grounded in that idea of a naturalistic understanding of religion, the idea of ethics at the core of religion, much of what we talk about here at the Washington Ethical Society, the feeling that how we treat each other is the most important thing, and that religion really serves to help us understand how to treat each other. But privately, Adler said something relatively different. And that's what I want to just tease out a little bit here as we look at kind of the totality of who we are or who we may have been. Privately, Adler was really not a naturalist in the way that we've just talked about naturalism. He believed in or posited or used as a lens for looking at the world a kind of what I would really call metaphysical idea of the ethical manifold. Perry, who bought this platform, actually, I think, describes the ethical manifold more beautifully than anyone else I've heard. So you'll have to ask him during coffee hour afterward to describe it. But it's an idea of the interconnectedness of all things, the way that our ethical agency comes out only in relationship to another. I think I've heard Perry use the phrase of sort of jewels in a web, the idea of each of us sparkling in a particular way in our connection with each other. When he was asked about whether or not he believed in God, Felix Adler referenced Matthew Arnold, a poet who described God as, and I quote, the eternal not ourselves that makes for righteousness. And I think there you see really a different understanding of the world than that rooted entirely in naturalism. If we look at naturalism as the idea that we create the order, we create the pattern, I think you see that Adler had, in his own understanding of the world, a sense of the eternal as being beyond ourselves in some way, a purpose or a unifying possibility the sum greater, the, the whole greater than the sum of its parts might be one way to look at that understanding of the world. At any rate, I think you can see Adler thinking on a plane that's not entirely the imminent sacred. He thought there too, as well, of course. But I think you can see him kind of looking up to the second level of that duplex and perhaps having a sense that that, that duplex, that that second level really looked different in some way. The reality is, though, that now in ethical culture, many of us are rooted in naturalism, in a naturalistic understanding of the world. The idea that there may not be an eternal order outside of ourselves, but that we create the eternal in our own meaning-making. So, are we just stuck with the imminent sacred? Not to knock it, the imminent sacred's really great. Our experience of the sacred in the here and now, in what we know, 
Or can we, within a naturalistic understanding, get to the transcendent sacred, to that idea of the sacred outside of experiential knowledge? I want to turn back to world religions and look a little bit more closely at what they, at what they talk about with the sacred and with transcendence particularly to Buddhism, which I promised last week we would talk about more than we did last week, so here we are. I think for many of us who are rooted in naturalism, and many of us really within progressive religion largely in America, Buddhism offers the idea of different planes that we can relate to most easily. Buddhism's understanding of the duplex and what's at the top within some, uh, some versions of Buddhism and as it's practiced primarily in America can actually be an, an opening for us into the idea of a transcendent rooted in naturalism. Buddhism has at its core, I think, a highly transcendent philosophy or metaphysic. The idea that the self is an illusion, that it's the connection to others that is the true reality that we experience, the reality toward which we're always striving. I want to tell a Zen story that may help us to understand that a little bit, and I think it's one that I've told before, but it bears repeating particularly because it's really short. It's the shortest teaching of the Buddha, the story goes. The Buddha is sitting with his disciples around him, and they've gathered for a really important sermon, one that's going to explain to them all of Buddhism. And there sits the Buddha holding a flower, and he twirls the flower a little in his hand. And most people are maybe sort of shuffling, you know how you do when you think maybe the speaker should get to the point, like say anything, and looking at the Buddha like they're not quite sure what's going on and when the sermon will start. But one disciple smiles and says roughly, I understand, that the Buddha in just that twirling of the flower has given the totality of his understanding of the universe, which is that we are all connected, that the twirling of the flower is connected to the cosmos. So right in that little moment of, of, of imminence, of the here and now, the flower, very present, totally known, he offers to his followers a way of seeing what I would call the transcendent, beyond our knowing an understanding of the second level of the duplex that still roots us within naturalism. Now, that idea of seeing differently, of seeing with different eyes, that's not within Buddhism alone. In fact, I would say that that idea comes within almost all the major world religions. Some of you who were raised within a Christian faith might be familiar with the phrase, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, does anyone remember that phrase? It's the idea that when you truly understand, your eyes see differently and your ears hear differently. You are rooted within this experience seeing the second level of the duplex. It's related to the idea that the kingdom of God is not only or perhaps not at all some higher different plane 
but found right here in the, in the here and now in our current experience. And in fact, there's some great scholarship on early Christian tradition that's going on right now, looking at the idea that early Christians were significantly more involved in that kind of kingdom of God in the present experience than they later evolved to become within, within uh, the history of Christianity. There's a, um, a wonderful book about the idea of seeing paradise now, a kind of earthly rootedness within the early Christian community, seeing then with different eyes. So I think you see that tension between the imminent and the transcendent within Christian thought as well as within Buddhist thought. What I'm wondering is whether we can see this tension, this is not a tension but an interplay, and whether naturalism might not be the thing that allows for that interplay, for both the imminent sacred and the transcendent sacred. Ultimately, the transcendent is really about not knowing. It's about being open to an experience that we do not know. Not knowing, many of you may, may know, is exactly the definition of agnosticism. Not knowing, having not knowledge. I would say, within the naturalistic understanding, that there's plenty that we don't know about the natural world and plenty of openness there. For some of us, we may have an idea that there is more, as Adler saw, a pattern and eternal beyond our creation. Now, going back to that staircase metaphor, for some of you, I imagine that feeling or knowing that there's really only one plane may seem very important. It doesn't, I would argue, mean that you can't find transcendence here in the natural world in that plane. For some of you, feeling or knowing that there are two very real planes may seem important. And I would argue that that doesn't mean you can't find transcendence here, that it only exists in another plane. Some of you may be in that agnostic, that not knowing space, open to the idea, not being sure what lies beyond the door at the top of the staircase. And open perhaps, and this I think is the the key piece that for me I can take from that idea of Buddhism and in Christianity, the de seeing differently with eyes, the idea that as you climb the staircase, you may open the door to find the same level you started from, but looking somehow different. The possibility that the imminent sacred, the sacred we see around us, the sacred of Whitman and our bodies, the sacred of nature, that when seen through new eyes, that can lead to an experience of the transcendent sacred. That that which I know to be beautiful now, here, suddenly opens me to a mystical experience where I don't even know the totality of the beauty. It is on that lower level that we look for the imminent sacred firmly rooted in experience and in the climb that we open ourselves to the possibility of the transcendent sacred, whether it is rooted in another level of the duplex or whether that level is the first level come back up again. To me, I think what's most important is that we find ways to climb that staircase, whatever we think is on the other side of the door. 
there's a, a quote from Karen Armstrong that I'd like to, uh, to end with. Karen Armstrong is a religious scholar. Many of you might have read some of her books, The History of God and uh, The Great Transformation. She's also the developer of the Charter of Compassion, which is the idea that the golden rule and ethics binds all religious traditions, and she invites, has invited and has had signed on people from many different religious faiths around the world. So in some ways, I think you can see in Karen Armstrong, you can imagine that she would be rooted really in that idea that the, that eth, that the ethical behavior is the core of religious experience. That's, that's some of what she says in the Charter of Compassion. And indeed, this quote begins in just that way. Religion is not about accepting 20 impossible propositions before breakfast, but about doing things that change you. It is a moral aesthetic, an ethical alchemy. If you behave in a certain way, you will be transformed. But she goes on. The myths and laws of religion are not true because they conform to some metaphysical, scientific, or historical reality, but because they are life-enhancing. They tell you how human nature functions, but you will not discover their truth unless you apply these myths and doctrines to your own life and put them into practice. That comes from one of Karen Armstrong's memoirs, the spiral staircase, you see she likes the staircase theme as well, my climb out of darkness, which is actually about her experience. She was a Catholic nun coming out of becoming a nun and becoming, so coming out of the cloister and becoming a scholar. If you listen to that quote, I think at the beginning you see the pull toward the charter of compassion, the pull toward ethical behavior as the core of a religious experience. But if you keep going to the myths, the laws of religion, She says, you will not discover the truth of how human nature functions, the truth of ethical behavior, right, unless you apply these myths and doctrines to your own life and put them into practice. To me, that's about climbing the staircase, about finding ways that we can experience both the imminent sacred and open ourselves up to the transcendent sacred. However it is rooted in our lives, however our own metaphysic opens and expands for us, we need to climb that staircase to see with different eyes the world around us. It's the idea that no matter what is at the top of the staircase, it is our practice in climbing it that helps us to become the better people that we seek to be. Our myths may not be like Christianity's myths or Islam's myths. It may be that they have in common with Buddhism's myths the idea of transcendence rooted in the here and now. We hold a myth of the goodness of each human being, a myth of the world as sacred. It doesn't mean that that's not true, But calling it a myth calls out the meaning that it's laden with, the idea that we hold that dear. And so we have to practice those myths, practice our belief that that humans are good, our belief that the world is sacred. One way to do that is through spiritual practice, and I want now to invite you into a kind of spiritual practice here, a practice through song, Our chorus will lead us in that, in a song from the composer Mary Gregolia. 
Bailey had some email interactions with Mary as she tried to figure out how the chorus would lead this piece. And Mary shared something that I'd like to share to help us be rooted in her own understanding when she composed this song. So these are words of Mary Gregolia. I tilt toward the transcendent, which I believe is part of everyone's nature. I would hope we all find ways of opening to that awareness. Singing, of course, is a powerful way of experiencing that which transcends the individual, yet relies on the individual voice and attunement. <laughs> 